This is the Ignition Point, Clayton Bradley Academy's podcast, where every day we work to help students excel through critical thinking, problem solving, collaboration, and use of our lifelong guidelines and life skills. Today's conversation is actually out of another chapter in the Exceeding Expectations 2 book, which is a book about the model of instruction that we use at Clayton Bradley Academy. This model was discussed by our principals at one of our recent parent um, coffee and teas that we were able to have. And I just wanted to go back over and recap some of the things that were discussed as we look at this. So this is in the book, chapter 11, which is absence of threat and creating community. And whenever we look at absence of threat, we talk about absence of threat in our classrooms. Sometimes people have their own idea of that. And most of the time that goes to some kind of behavior management policy. And so whenever people think of threat, maybe they think back to when they were in school and they may think of, of a fight that took place in the classroom or they may think of a time that maybe somebody was um, cursing out another person or, or maybe in a lower school setting. Um, it could be either one of those, but it could just be um, something where one student, you know, hit another student to take something back from them or or whatever may be the case. And so sometimes that's the thought that gets there. And, and there is a physical element to this idea of absence of threat. But really, when we're looking at that, we're looking at what we talked about with Kim Hedrick of restorative practice and the power of emotions and that sort of thing in the classroom. Whenever we're talking about absence of threat in the model that we instruct, there's actually a lot more that goes into it outside of just behavior management. In fact, behavior management is not really um, a big piece of this. And I'll show you a little bit of where behavior management comes in, but the majority of it is actually um, how you set up the classroom, how you set up the environment. The environment is a huge part of absence of threat. And so we talk about that through the lens of a physical environment, and then we talk about that through the lens of an emotional environment. And so when we're talking about a physical environment that happens inside of our classroom, we want to make sure that that we look at what brain research says about the physical environment. So we want to eliminate um, things that are aesthetically unpleasing. We want to eliminate clutter. We want to make sure that it's physically safe, meaning, you know, kids aren't going to walk around the room and get hurt. And we want to make sure that um, there are clear procedures and policies and ways to interact in the room. And so to do that, we want to make sure that our room is a healthy room. Um, By healthy room, we're talking about that um, obviously uh, things are clean, um, that we're providing environments where the right smells are there, where the right things are in the air. Um, We want to use a lot of natural um, oils and oil diffusers. We want to try to keep away from harmful chemicals if we can. Obviously, there's time and place for um, some harsher chemicals to be used to clean up something if you know something important has happened there that we need a harsher chemical to clean up. But then we want to make sure that the room doesn't have that um, that smell of, you know, kind of like what you might think of as like the, the doctor's office type smell. We don't want that. We want it to be a smell that is inviting and helps kids kind of get in that place. They're not walking in thinking that this is a sanitized room, that they're walking in thinking of it being pleasant. Um, Sometimes we refer to that as that it's similar to like walking into their own house. Um, And so smelling those natural smells, the the oil diffuser with with, uh, essential oil type stuff in there that is good for activating the brain and activating senses so that we're not thinking about something maybe that we shouldn't be thinking about when we come in. Um, We also look at colors that are used in our classrooms and colors are one of those things that 
um, are very important because nature teaches our brain to be afraid of certain things. And sometimes we don't even think about this, but in nature, when you see something that's bright yellow or that is bright red, um, neon colored, a lot of times those things are meant to elicit some kind of fear response. That's the purpose of the color. The color is to warn you that this thing is going to hurt you. Maybe it's going to be a poison if you eat it. Maybe it's going to sting you, whatever may be the case. And so there's a lot of these natural warning colors in nature that we want to be a, be mindful of in the classroom because the brain picks up on those warning colors and does cause a, an, a little bit of a fight or flight response. And so we want to make sure that the colors that we're using are um, also of nature, but are of nature in those um, calming ways. So we use a lot of calming colors, of pastels, of the more muted colors, so that we're not setting off those warnings in the brain. And then the lights that we're using in our classroom, we want to make sure that we have natural light if possible. And so if you're listening to this and maybe you're in an environment where you don't have natural light, looking at what you can add into the classroom that would mimic that natural light. There are light bulbs now that will do that. There's LEDs that will help with that. We want to get away from the... Um, we want to get away from the kind of lights that we know will cause um, headaches possibly that can uh, cause it harder to concentrate and those sort of things. And so we want to use the, the lights that are going to encourage our brains to be in a good place. And so that's a very important uh, thing for our classroom as well. And all of this goes into that absence of threat. It's, it's, sometimes it's hard to make that leap of like you're talking about things that cleaning in the classroom and lights and all that. How is that connected to absence of threat? But it's all about what the brain is doing when it's in that environment. And so when, it, when, when a student walks into your classroom, um, what are, what's that going on in their brain? The stuff that maybe even is subconscious that they wouldn't even know is happening, but it causes them to start to feel nervous or it causes them to start to feel butterflies in their stomach. Um, and so we want to create an aesthetically pleasing environment that allows that brain to be creative, allows that brain to push possibilities, to take risks, to feel comfortable enough to throw out a new idea, to be vulnerable. And we know that we can do that with the environment of looking around, making sure that we're not cluttered. Um, one of the things we talk about with our teachers is if it's on the wall, it has a, it has a purpose that we don't just put stuff on the wall because it's pretty. We don't put stuff on the wall that um, is just a thing that we you know, created one day and then never talked about in our classroom, that's just wallpaper at that point. And we don't want to waste that time and energy of our kids' brains. When they look at that, they're trying to process what is going on with that. And then if we never talk about it as a teacher, um, then that student is, is constantly kind of thinking about, like, why is it over there? Or do I really understand what it's there for? Um, or should I be using that? Should I know what's going on with that? And so we talk to our teachers a lot about that, of what do you put up on your walls? It needs to be there for a reason. You need to refer to it. You need to talk about it. Um, so we talk about things like our life skills, lifelong guidelines that are on the wall because our teachers should be referring to those. In lower school, we talk about how we are teaching those life skills, lifelong guidelines, and then as they get into upper school, we want them to be showing those lifelong guidelines, life skills. Not that we don't want them to show them in the lower school too, but that the focus turns to really showing those life skills, lifelong guidelines. And so having those examples on the wall for people to look at, remember what those mean, remember how they can also uh, portray that. And so we wanna make sure that we don't just have uh, you know, pretty things out, but it's things that are usable. So how can students interact with it? 
um, putting up work whenever it makes sense to put up work from a student or from a, a field study. And then when it's no longer important for that to be up, taking it down and you know storing it maybe for the next time we talk about this, but I don't need it just left on the wall forever. Um, I need it to be something that I'm using and that wall space is critical. So I can't just leave something up there forever because I need that wall space for the next activity that we're doing. Obviously we want our rooms to be physically safe. We work really hard on that. And some of that physical safety also is a teacher welcoming you at the door. Um, that helps create that feeling of a physically safe environment. So we want to make sure that our teachers are, are welcoming our students at the door, providing an opportunity for them to uh, physically feel like they're in a safe place that they were welcomed in they can relax and really let their brain be activated and then we want to look at that emotional safety if you have not listened to the podcast with Kim Hedrick you need to go back and listen to it um, where she talks about the things that our teachers do to help provide that emotionally safe environment for our students. And so we want to provide an emotionally safe environment. We know that emotion drives pretty much everything. We, we've talked about this quote from Dr. Sylvester that says, emotion drives attention and what we attend to determines what we perceive. Thus, emotion drives learning, memory, problem solving, and just about everything else. And so we know that we want our students to feel that emotional safety in our rooms, that emotional connection to people in the room, that they're part of a broader community. And we do that through all kinds of different community activities. And these aren't just icebreakers that maybe you've done in a corporate setting or whatever, but um, ways for the community to be built um, where people feel emotionally safe, safe to take a risk, safe to say something maybe that they wouldn't have said if they didn't feel uh, safe. Um, things to safe in an environment where they can take a risk and, and throw an answer out, not knowing whether that answer is the right answer or not. And they're going to do that if they have that emotional security. And so if you have not gone back and listened to that, that podcast, uh, you need to really go back and look at that. Now, this is also where we continue to uh, emphasize lifelong guidelines and life skills from our preschool students all the way up through our high school students. We want them to learn the life, life skills and lifelong guidelines. We want them to put them into practice and use. We want it to show through their projects. We want it to show through their interactions with each other. We want it to show on our sports teams. We want it to show in our competing clubs. We want it to show in the community when we go to do a political social action. We want it to show in everything that our students are a part of. And it is a crucial element of who we are. It's not just part of our mission, which you hear on the podcast at the beginning and, and ending of every podcast, that we want students to use the life skills and the lifelong guidelines. And so we want that to be something that they really own and it becomes a, a true essential part of what they do. Now, whenever we talk about creating community, that is a purposeful statement that happens in the rooms. When you come into our classrooms, we don't have individual desks. We don't have kids sitting in rows. From the very beginning, kids are in grouped uh, tables, and this is not ability grouped. And there are times that we might put certain kids together for certain reasons, but just all throughout the day that we're putting them with groups of students where they are building relationships, where they are learning how to interact with each other, that they're learning how to share uh, their life with somebody else. So they might be talking about 
um, their thoughts or their feelings one day. They might be talking about the, the content that was just uh, discussed in the classroom. They might be working on a project together. They might be thinking about what they're going to do tomorrow. And there's all kinds of different activities that go on where we're teaching our students how to collaborate. Once again, collaboration, we, I use that word every uh, opening and closing of a podcast. But that collaboration term is not just something we hope happens or something that, that you know is going to happen from time to time with the project. It's something that we want our kids to be able to do all of the time, from preschool all the way up. And that looks very different as you age in our classrooms. And so we're constantly looking for those um, learning clubs, sometimes is what they're called. Sometimes it's just table groups. Um, sometimes it's lab partners. You know, it depends on what may be going on in the classroom. But we're constantly looking at creating community with those kids and then looking at how they fit into the larger community of the classroom. And so with Kim Hedrick on one of the previous podcasts, she talked about community circles of bringing everybody together and talking through something that's going on. It could be we're talking about something in the learning, like a book, a novel study, or something that we learned on a field study, a being there experience. Um, Those times are also important for that community circle. It could be we're talking about what's going to happen that day and, and do I have anxiety about something that's coming up? How do I feel about the presentation I'm about to give? Do I have all the information that I need to give that presentation? So these are times where students, once again, they're collaborating, they're feeling um, like they're supported uh, in their classroom by their peers, and then they get the opportunity to also support others in the class to make sure that we're building that community and taking those steps to make that um, something that that can be lasting and have a lasting impact on those students. We want kids to learn how to make and keep friends. That's such an important skill in today's world of you know social media and, and sometimes people just want to use social media to cause conflict and argument and we know that the algorithms that run social media um, content hone in on the negative and hone in on the stuff that they know can get people um, arguing and, and fighting. And we want, our, we want our students to learn in the classroom how to make and keep friends, not how to create enemies, not how to just argue all the time, but actually how to make and keep friends, how to deal with and come to respect differences. Everybody at the table is different in some way. And so how can we acknowledge that difference? How can we respect that difference? How can we value the difference of that individual and what they bring to the table. We want to develop skills for working as a team to accomplish a task. Um, How important as they continue to grow and develop of learning how to work together as a team and not just have one person in the group doing the whole project. And we've all been part of those groups, um, but actually feeling like everybody in the group is bringing and doing and part of, of making this thing a success. Learning how to learn. That's something that sometimes we forget that we have to teach that. It's a skill. How do you learn? How can you figure this thing out? And that collaborative group, that community group, that learning club is where that takes place. And then learning to resolve differences and reach a compromise for the common good, essential practice for the job of citizenship. And so we want, to, we want our students to learn how to compromise at times. You know, on these projects, sometimes we just need to agree to disagree, but we have to compromise on how we're going to finish this thing so that we can get the, the project to a completed point, we can do the presentation, 
and all people in the group can feel like they had a part of it, that they played an essential role in that. And so we want our students to have that. We want to give our community just that opportunity to continue to build and grow, feel safe, feel like they're part of something that's bigger than themselves. And so some of the strategies that our teachers use in this, obviously I've already mentioned some of these, for instance, greeting at the door, uh, making sure students know that when they're leaving that the teacher is, you know, giving them a farewell of some kind or, you know, and reflecting on the learning that took place. Looking at daily agendas. How many times have you walked in a classroom maybe and you've heard somebody ask like, are we doing anything today? The agenda on the wall is an important element of that. It shows what we're doing. It allows the brain to get in that space of like, where are we going today? And knowing that they can feel safe in that adventure. How many times have you walked in a classroom and you didn't know whether there was going to be a quiz today or you couldn't remember whether that presentation was actually going to happen today? And so if, if it's not up on the agenda, then the whole um, time the teacher's talking, maybe that's going on in your head of like, oh, I want, I'm just wondering whether this quiz is going to happen. And so a, a good placed agenda where the teacher talks about that agenda helps everybody know there is going to be a quiz or there is going to be a presentation and that, you know, they know when that's going to happen in the classroom experience for that day. It allows their brain to just move on from that and to get ready for the next thing that they're doing. Written procedures all over the place. When you come in our classrooms, you would see procedures for all kinds of things. Um, there could be procedures for how to sit at the, at the table they're at. There could be procedures for how to use a, a piece of equipment, procedures for how to get a book out of the classroom library, a procedure for um, even washing your hands at times. You know, we've had those procedures up of, of wanting to make sure that we're creating and promoting a clean environment and trying to reduce the spread of any kind of diseases in the classroom. And so we're constantly looking at, at well-placed procedures. It's a, it's a conversation that I have with teachers with something going on in the classroom, and it's what procedure are students following. And many times, if you have a good procedure that students are following, then that helps to take care of some of the behavior problems that are happening. And, and getting students involved in helping develop those procedures and figuring out what the procedure should be. I, I know a personal experience from that. I put out um, microscopes one time, and I was just wanting kids to kind of explore with it. And, and you know, I had some prepared slides. I had some slides that, that kids could just put stuff on and look at in a microscope. And kids weren't really touching it, weren't really doing anything with it. And and when I asked uh, students about it, it was they didn't know how to use it and they didn't want to break it. And they were like, it looks expensive and I don't want to break it. That's, I don't want you know, my parents to have to pay for that. And I realized I didn't have a procedure down for how to use the microscope in a safe way. And so once we discussed that procedure and I posted that procedure, then kids got really creative in what they were looking at. You know, And they were looking at all kinds of gross stuff and they were looking at that. Uh, things that they just wondered what that looked like under a microscope and and it was a lot of fun and kids really got to explore and be creative and see a lot of uh, really cool things happen in the classroom and so we want to make sure that we create an environment where students feel safe where emotionally and physically they can come in their brain can be in the right place that they're not just um, in their brain stem they're they're not in a fight or flight response there's going to be times that that is still going to happen right there's going to be times that a kid feels um, threatened or maybe that they really don't know what's going on and their brain puts them into that fight flight freeze or fawn state but we want to do everything we can to keep them out of that and then recognizing if a kid is in that state 
that we can get them out of that state. Some practices, um, it could be some breathing techniques, it could be some ways to think through what's going on. Um, it could be a, a go outside and walk around, you know, the, the sidewalk for a couple minutes and, and get reset to come back into the classroom. There's all kinds of things that a student can do to get them where they need to be um, so that they're ready to learn, which is our goal. This has been the Ignition Point, Clayton Bradley Academy's podcast, where every day we work to help students excel through critical thinking, problem solving, collaboration, and use of our lifelong guidelines and life skills. If you'd like to find out more about the model that we use here at Clayton Bradley Academy, you can do so through the Exceeding Expectations 2 book, which you can order through the link in this podcast. You can also visit Clayton Bradley Academy on the website, www.claytonbradleyacademy.org, or through our social media sites, at CBA STEM or at Clayton Bradley Academy. There's emails on there that you can reach out to someone here. You can schedule a visit. You can come by and tour. Uh, if you're a prospective family or if you're in education and you just want to come and see this model in action, there's ways that you can uh, reach us through the website as well for that. We hope you have a wonderful day.